Frank, I love C sharp. I love it. Yeah, really? It's so good. I, 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 I never got that from you. I, I thought you were more of like a Python person or something. You know, I love I love Java and I love lower casing things for no good reason <laughs> and inheriting from multiple classes for for no good reason and 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 all that good stuff. No, no, no. Mm-hmm. I was actually talking to uh, Scott Hanselman today. We had we had lunch and we were eating uh, tacos. Drop. Hashtag uh, humble brag. And and we were talking about kind of getting started with programming languages, and we were going through these stories of this. And I remember the first time I found C Sharp, which is about when .NET, it might have been still 1.1 or moving into 2.0, but I found the combination mm-hmm. of .NET and C Sharp, and I fell in love with the syntax, I fell in love with the IDE, yeah. I fell in love with .NET, and I was like, this is all I ever wanted to do. And some amazing new things have happened in the world of C Sharp, specifically <laughs> C Sharp 7. Woo, we're finally doing the C-Sharp 7 episode. We've been putting this off for way too long, but I'm kind of a language nerd. We all know that. We, I think we all endured the language episode. And so I've been actually excited for this because I could just talk about languages all the time. And this week we have C-Sharp 7, slightly warm off the presses. <laughs> I would I would say yeah so so as of this recording it, it's I mean C sharp seven is official official this was the first time C sharp was I would say co developed or co input mm. from the community because all of this yeah. was really public on yeah um, this was really which awesome, was called the yeah, I, I, I've made a small career out of the last couple of years of using Roslyn. So it's been a big deal for me that we've kind of standardized on the C-sharp compiler, especially one that um, meets .NET standard, as we've talked about in the past. So this compiler can go basically everywhere, which is super cool. But then the best part is it's open source and people are actually contributing to it all the time. If you go onto the GitHub page, you'll see billions of issues, billions of pull requests, tons of comments, because, wow, they are thorough, thorough people over there. I've I've been trying mm-hmm. to get a PR in for a little while, and they're just like, uh-uh, got to up that code quality. <laughs> yeah, and, and it's, it's actually super awesome, because when you can create new issues of features you want, and they have, like, guidelines to put in when you're doing new features uh, for C Sharp, and the team, like, they listened to feedback, so as they were developing the new tuples, for instance, there was tons of feedback, and I remember Mads Torgerson, he was doing tons of talks early on about, like, here's what's coming next in C-Sharp 7, and blah, 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 so I'm super excited about it, and I think when C-Sharp 6 came out, because there was a long lag between C-Sharp 5, which was kind of very yeah. revolutionary, that was the async await stuff. Right. Yep. I I think in retrospect, what we were all seeing was the development of the Roslyn compiler. So during that time, the time it took them to rewrite the compiler, kind of by necessity, they weren't able to advance the language so much. So yeah, C Sharp 6 was the first Roslyn based one, I believe. And now with C Sharp 7, we're just kind of into the full swing of it. The community's contributing, everyone knows what's going on. They're on what version 2.0, I believe. And Mm -hmm. so it's just, yeah, it's just better. (laughs) And you can get it today. That's the nice thing is that as of we're talking, Visual Studio for Mac is GA, which includes mm-hmm. the new Roslyn 2.0, which actually brings in C Sharp 7 support, which is great. And obviously, Visual Studio 2017 has it too. So I've seen tons of projects already incorporate a lot of new features. So it was almost when I upgraded to C Sharp 7 or C Sharp 6, which was a release that I called Clean Up Your Code. And I think at the <laughs> end of this, after we talk about the features, we can maybe talk about the theme of C Sharp mm-hmm. 7. Because there's a little bit of that in it, but I remember I'm still gonna I'm soon gonna have to say you have to compile this in 2017 or VS for Mac because um, some people 
may not get those and I'm going to start using all these new features right away. Yeah, I mean, back in the day, there were excuses for not advancing your compiler language. And that's we all had to pay for Visual Studio, we all had to pay $1,000 to go get a copy of Visual Studio. And that's how you advanced your compiler. Well, obviously, that went away if you're on the mono side, you never had to do that. But the mono compiler would like behind a tiny bit. But nowadays, now that this is all open source and everything, yeah, I just have no sympathy for people not upgrading their languages. So it's like, if you want to compile my code, yeah, you're going to have to use the newest version of the language, which I don't know that that sounds wrong. But like the compilers, that's like two megabyte download, like just go get it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, just get it. It's good. And and I know that you wanted to kick off everything with this Ah. little tiny feature called Hmm. numeric literal syntax improvements. No, I'm just kidding. No, it's not a. Well, gosh, you 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 led me into that. I, did I just? I, I, it's I'm, a trap. I, I, I'm going to make you talk about them now. No, we're going to save those for the end. That's how awesome the numerical literal yeah. syntax is, and I can't wait to hear you badger me about them throughout the rest oh of this goodness. episode. <laughs> well, so so yeah, I'm I'm excited to see why I need to care about them because they're on the bottom of this list. There's a great one thing that we've realized. There's great documentation, some good videos that I'll link to from Build Two with Mads and and the team on it. But the docs are great on it. Maybe not the best samples in the world, so we're going to try to demystify some of the things. Yeah. But I really don't like the order that they put them in because to me, I want to see like the most important features. And to me, I don't know. I think did we agree upon the most? So we're just going to kind of walk through some features in this episode, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. tell you what they are, why they matter. Um, and you can read the docs later. But I think to me, the most important feature is pattern matching. And and you've had yeah. it for a long time. And Swift has <laughs> pattern matching, correct? Yeah. Yep, 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 and yep. Um, It's a feature language that's, um, I have a bunch of data in front of me. It's all stuck in a variable somewhere. But I want to know what shape is the data? Is it a person object? Does that person have the first name of whatever? Uh, Do they have um, an address? Does the address contain this? And if we wanted to do these kind of searches before, we end up writing a bunch of if statements. If this, and this, and this, and this, and this. And the syntax gets pretty ugly and annoying uh this also comes up when we're doing um well we'll talk about this a little bit more but when you're trying to figure out the dynamic type of something like if i'm given a shape object and i want to know if it's a triangle versus a circle or something like that we often use these horrific if statements and as uh if statements with is's and as statements and temporary variables and millions of temporary variables all that said, we're finally getting syntax to do pattern matching in C Sharp. And it really is awesome because it's probably one of my favorite features from F Sharp and definitely something I miss or enjoy using when I'm in Swift and miss when I go back to C Sharp. Yeah. And and to me, like this one's nice because I'm I'm often doing I'm often this is really this feature to me is like whenever I'm given an object, so a very generic object type, I, I don't know what to do with it. So I have to do a bunch of casting. And in the past I'd have to hard cast it or I had this is like is it this Mm. and then I would then have to cast it or then I can do as and then check against null and then if it was null right then I could I could go on to the next thing and I would literally have this big if 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 over and over again and I really like the syntax with this so imagine you had your past into so we have to describe in code so you can visualize this I have a method that is called do something and it takes in an object right and that object parameter is called uh, item okay 
Yeah, and it, it, it and doesn't I, really have a type because you just want to take in all sorts of objects. You want to be very... This is almost a case where the type system's failing you because you don't want to say, I take in a specific type of object. You want to say, I can handle all sorts of objects, but I'm still going to need to do my own filtering. Exactly. Or, or you maybe got a click handler and the event is giving you back mm-hmm. an object because it's not, it's not generic, right? It's not templated. Yeah. So it only can return you an object. So you don't know what it is. Like in Xamarin Forms, when you tap on a cell, you don't know what that is, right? Mm-hmm. It, it, it could be anything. So you say, if it's this or if is it not null and all this stuff. So what you can do is you can, there's two types of things. And the first one is just the simple improvements to the if expression or is expression. Hey. Yeah. Yeah, this one's nice because we all come up mm-hmm. with the same pattern in our code. Um, the, the is expression is, is this object a person? And we do that all the time and it works out great. The problem is often after you found out that it's a person, you want to access properties of that person. And that means now you have to do another line of code that creates a local variable and casts it. And, you know, it's just extra code. So they, mm-hmm. this pattern is all over the place. We, we've all written it 10 times a day. And so they just squish that pattern down into some nice little syntax. So now you can say, when you're saying is a person, you can actually give it a variable name right there and you get bound to a variable. Yeah, so you can say, if item is person, then right after that, space P. And if it is a person, P will automatically be casted for you. So then in scope, inside that if statement, and it's scope too, which is really nice. So inside that scoping, then you can access p dot first name p dot second name or you know p dot yeah. last name or whatever which is super helpful and and that's really nice because essentially you might be looping through a bunch of objects and i enumerable of objects and you don't know what that thing is right and you're just like here we go and i'm going to do this and i'm going to do this and i think that's super super nice yeah um and now i I actually want to bring something up because it reminds me of a funny story i was working at microsoft for the first time and i was uh, working with this genius programmer and he had this motto and the motto was basically if you're using a switch statement you're doing things wrong and that's basically (laughs) what we're talking about here is a bunch of if statements it's the same thing as a switch statement and his logic was simple if you're doing object-oriented programming correctly, then you should be able to just call a virtual method on the object and ask for whatever you need. So, um, oh, you know, the person example's a bad one, but uh, going back to the shapes, um, you know, I should be able to just say dot color, and depending on the shape, it'll tell me the color, or if I say, um, what is the length of the periphery, um, (laughs) then it would just calculate that for the shape. It's when we don't, when the type system's not working for us that we have to fall back to these kind of ugly yeah. hacks. And it, yeah. it just kind of happens. Like you can't help it sometimes. <laughs> yeah. But I think this is a good, I think they, you know, they kind of, imp- this, this pattern matching that they did is not over the board, but it also is like complementary to the language because, well, what is literally, if it is this thing, what is literally the next thing I'm going to do? Well, I'm going to, mm-hmm. you know, cast it. So just cast it for yeah. me, you know? And, and this makes um, the the if statement can get longer, too, because you can say if this is a person and their first name is this. Otherwise, it just would have been two if statements and oh, terrible. That is a good <laughs> point. Yep, you could you could nest it because then it'll be in scope in that if statement, which is super nice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and leading into switch cases in general, because who doesn't love a good switch case, which has always been constants, right? It has to be a string or it has to be an yep. int or something like that. And now it can be whatever you want. So you can switch case over an item and it could be zero 
int, an enumerable. It could be a person. It could be a dog. It could be any object. It could be anything. And what's nice is that it uses very similar syntax. So you can say um, case zero. So if it is literally zero, but you could say case int val, for instance, and that's literally saying, is it an integer? And if so, cast it to val immediately, which, which yeah. is great. Which it's yeah. you know it's it's like an inline case for the is and like complementary, and, it, and it's the same type of flow. But what I love about this is since they did and improve the pattern matching for switch cases, you can now say case null, like, oh my goodness, thank you so much. Oh, I didn't even catch on to that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> there, there, there's your most common case. Every time you type switch, start with case null. <laughs> yeah, it's great. Yeah. And and literally, like, it's a special case when there's no input and then boom, it's null. It's it's great. It's And, and there's still defaults under it. So you can still have a default throwback and everything like that. And it's just... It makes a lot of sense just in general, like as you're reading it through, it's like, yeah, of course, when I'm going to do that. But it also leads to something else in the switch case improvement, because just Uh-oh. like on the if statement, you could say if first name, you can still do that. So you could say case person P when person dot P equals equals whatever, you know what I mean? And then yeah. use it. Yeah, we got a taste of this in C-sharp 6 when they started adding filters to exception handlers. Back in the day, oh, you yeah. could only say, yeah, you can only catch this type of exception, which was pretty good, but no, we all hated it because we would end up putting an if statement inside of that catch, almost all of us. And so they added this when part, this little filter you can add to it. So if this is an IO exception and it happened because the other computer's not reachable, you know, that then yeah. do this, otherwise do something else. So they added this kind of when syntax to the switch also, which basically means you can put any kind of Boolean logic into it, which really makes it like a Lisp case statement, which really makes me excited because we're getting closer to Lisp. <laughs> the only thing I miss with it is um, eventually I would like to see C-sharp get um, expression-based switches. Uh, so our current switches are switch statements. That means it's an executable line of code. It starts in the beginning, ends at the end. Things happen before, things happen after it, and it does not return a value. Uh, whereas with switch uh, expressions, you can actually return a value from the switch. But, you know, it's yeah. a smart team. I think we'll get that eventually. Yeah, that'd be cool. Mm-hmm. That would be nice. I like that. Yeah, so, I mean, to me, pattern matching, what I like about it is sounds confusing but it's not really when you look at it, you're like oh that, that makes sense you know what i mean it really cleans up your code if you have a bunch of nested if statements that are hard to keep track of um try to write it out into a longer uh switch statement where you actually handle each case individually and you'll be surprised how much it can clean up your code i, I think it's one of the reasons f sharp code comes out so reliable and clean is because we're very strict about the pattern matching yeah i was gonna say how does this compare to your precious Mm-hmm. Uh, this is doing, this does pretty good. Um, so F sharp still has, F sharp and Swift actually both still have more syntax for more kinds of things you can match. Like, say I want to match on an array, but I only want to match that array if it has zero elements. Well, you can write that. You can say case array when length is equal to one. But in both Swift and F sharp, you can just say bracket X bracket. You know, it's just a smaller oh. syntax. So I'm actually assuming that C Sharp will actually keep improving in this regard because it's it, it, as the language grows, it gets harder to add syntax. It just take it's a little more. You have to be a little more clever about how you add syntax so that you don't break old code or anything like that. Got but it. I think that in the future, I think we'll get more pattern matching syntax. Yeah, that makes sense. I like that. Well, 
Well, you love pattern matching. My favorite <laughs> thing in the world that I love demoing is expression yes. bodied members. I love it. Yes. I remember uh, when you discovered, oh, was it the property getter? You sent me a message on Slack. You are so excited. You're like, dude, did you know that you can write it this way? This is going to eliminate at least one line of Kona, at least one curly brace from everything. <laughs> I am I am all about that. My favorite is when I implement I notify property change because uh, that used to be in C Sharp 5, just tons of lines of code. And oh, then you yeah. could say expression and then you could do property changed elvis operator dot and then you know continue on if it was null and you would just have this like some people hated looking at it but i loved it um which is great lots of symbols yes the Mm extra people would like you yeah so if you don't know what an expression embodied member is essentially that was introduced in c sharp six and what it allows you to do is it's like sometimes a property allows you it only has one statement after it so right now we have this like if you let's say you override two string and you want to return something well you got to do a squiggly a return statement and then whatever you need to do after it but Mm -hmm. really it would just be easier if that was just on one line so you could override two string and then put a lambda arrow and whatever it's going to return and every time it gets executed it just goes in but same things with auto properties um for read only properties so not get set, but only read only properties. Instead of doing get and then returning something in the return, you just give it an arrow and a, mm-hmm. a, a lambda and then return whatever it is. But they've extended it in C sharp seven. And now you can do getters and setters. So you can say get lambda arrow label set lambda arrow label equals yeah. value and then do something else after it. Right. So you can get rid of all those stupid squigglies for no good yeah. reason. Um, and the return statements is essentially their goal, I think, is to kill the return statement a lot on these things. And I'm OK with it. I'm OK with it. Yeah, this is this goes actually back to what I was just saying about the switch statement versus versus the switch expression. So what they realized is basically anywhere where you have a statement that's just a return. Well, let's allow expression syntax there. And that's what we've gotten. And so that's why we don't. Mm. <laughs> no, we're, we're we're there. This is this is really nice. Uh, this is a part where I think F sharp is only ahead by like four or five characters in the syntax. So <laughs> you're doing pretty well. Um, no, this you know it sounds silly. Like oh, I I erased a curly brace and a return keyword. But when you have curly braces and return keywords on literally every line of code, the code gets hard to read. That's boilerplate that's noise like you're you're losing the signal for the noise so i am all in favor of these shortening syntax things for sure i love it and also they i don't know if you saw this i got really excited when we were talking about this in pre-record is that they also got rid of um they got or they added this expression body members for constructors and finalizers. So no longer, if you're just passing in a string to your, your constructor or an object and you need to do this dot first name equals first name, you know, you no longer have the squiggly braces. You just give it the Lambda arrow. Mm -hmm. That's what I'm I'm pretty sure it's what it's called. The Lambda arrow, right? Uh, uh, Sounds good to me. I mean, it is, it is a Lambda arrow in this case. It's a little, yeah, let's go with it. Let's stick with it. Lambda arrow. It's a lambda arrow. Screw it. I'm in. <laughs> so that, that one's a little something. bit... L- uh, I'm sorry. I was just saying, uh, arrow means something very specific in computer science, and I don't want the emails, but I take that back. I do want the emails, so if we said that <laughs> wrong, please let us know. <laughs> so a lambda arrow, to be very specific, is an equals and then greater than. That is your mm-hmm. That is your lambda arrow. Yeah. Anyways, I love it. This thing is great. Yep. Um. 
it's awesome and you go get it that's what i'm saying yeah and i i I always tried to write this anyway i tried to write my getters this way and i always got disappointed in c sharp six when it wouldn't work so thank you yeah (laughs) one less mental burden yeah i love it oh now the one the one feature i don't quite understand and maybe you can help me is local functions because (laughs) are we trying to be javascript now i don't quite What's going yeah, on? Yeah, totally, here? dude. Totally. No, you're trying to be F sharp. Remember? Oh. <laughs> is everything in this episode just going to be compared? With, is C sharp is is C sharp seven hey, just trying to be F sharp? Can I just say that nine out of these ten things, and I don't even think there are ten, so I'm just going to use that. Sticking with it, ninety percent. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, these come from maybe not F sharp, but functional programming for sure. Okay. Um, like I said, uh, going back to the pattern matching, that is straight up from functional programming and the reason they have that is they don't have polymorphism they don't have object-oriented programming so pattern matching is the only way to uh disambiguate between two kinds of objects that's uh local functions let's do these guys so we we all know lambdas now right we 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 all program that way we all do that you do yeah sure yeah we do we do x and then the little lambda arrow and then write things the mm-hmm. problem is, um, uh, so you start writing your X arrow, and then it that function gets long, so now it's two lines, and then it became three lines, and it became four lines, and now it's calling another function, and all of a sudden, your code is just kind of getting this nesting and nesting nesting of uh, these callbacks, which is fine, but eventually when you're debugging, it can kind of get confusing, um, and at some point, you just want to give them a name. Like, we use variables to represent higher, bigger concepts than what we have. I don't put the number seven everywhere in my code. I assign seven to a variable and use that variable name everywhere. Names are important. They help us debug. They help us understand. So up till now, we had no way to name a local function in a thing. Like, if I have a special sort method that I want to pass to link, or I have a special filter I want to pass to link, there was no way to give them a name. What you had to do is type... Oh, it was terrible. You had to type func, less than sign, the return type, the arguments. I just got that backwards. Greater than sign. You had to name the variable equal sign. Then you had to repeat the arguments or the parameter names all over again. So X. And then you had to do your lambda operator. It was just this funny syntax, which worked. You were capturing a lambda and putting in a variable, but it was ugly. And so they just cleaned it up so that you can use normal function declaration syntax and get the same effect as if you're creating a lambda. Hmm. Wow. How did I do? No, no good. I'm no? so confused. Ah, oh, shoot. <laughs> well, I'm also looking at this. <laughs> I'm also looking at the sample and it just like, they're like, well, previously. Oh, that ex- well, okay. Oh, that example is terrible. Can I just preface that example is terrible? So yeah, we, we won't even link to it. It's so bad. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> so, so one thing kind of made sense. They're like, Hey, listen, so you're, let's say you're just, let's just say you have a method that's a public static called addition and you take in two integers and you return them. Let's just say that that is your thing. Well, okay. now what you can do is you can move that up and instead of passing in the two variables, you are scoped now. So like it would be after your return statement or whatever, and you could just use them. So then in say, instead of saying int addition, taking in two ints, you could just say int addition, and then you can use whatever's above it inside of your method. So I guess that makes sense. But then I don't understand, like, why wouldn't you just do it? Like, that that's my so, problem here is, is why wouldn't I just do it? You're way overthinking this. I this, am overthinking it. Yes. 
You write local functions all the time. Anytime you use parameter names and then lambda arrow, you're doing a local function. The yes. only thing is you're doing an anonymous local function. It has no name. It only has a value. This is simply a way to give those little functions names. That's oh my God. all Would, it why is. Wouldn't they, why wouldn't they describe it like that? Mm, mm. Moving well, on. Well, to me, it, yeah, that, that's a great thing. Well, so could, could I then use a local function? By the mm -hmm. way, could I use a local function for an event handler then? Absolutely. These are these are purely lambda functions, but with names. That's, oh, that's all a thousand they times are. Better. Yeah. yeah, because and, often yep. I I hate that my I hate that that my squiggly is so when I do a click handler like plus equals whatever. There's only really two options that you have to do it literally right there because you need to do it right mm -hmm. there or you yep. create a click handler somewhere else in your code. It's very long and tedious, but maybe right. I want access to other stuff later on. Oh, that makes a lot more sense. Mm -hmm. And mm. maybe you want to switch between two different local ones. Maybe I want to do this <sighs> under this condition, that one under that condition. Now I can just assign, you know, it, there's a good reason to have higher level functions. Mm. Um. All that said, it's really not that big a feature. It's just names. <laughs> okay. Oh, I, I should mention one more one more thing. Um, it makes writing a recursive local function easier, but that's mm. not something most people do. But it's a big deal if you do write those kinds of things because you have okay. a name to access. Okay. Well, we got a few more left, Ooh. but let's first <laughs> take a quick break from our C Sharp 7 binge fest and thank our amazing sponsor this week sync fusion you know sync fusion we've been talking about it all the time here on merge conflict we love sync fusion they're this amazing company that creates world-class components for any application whether it's xamarin xamarin forms web javascript uwp wpf winforms you name it they build beautiful charts graphs data grids list views pickers you name it they essentially have the component because they have over 850 world-class enterprise ready components from big data reporting dashboards they have amazing pdf word document viewers and savers and excel spreadsheets everything and with the xamarin stuff it's all cross-platform too with xamarin form so you can just plop it right in there i love syncfusion i use them personally for all my charts and graphs and all my applications um, and what's cool is that they have a beautiful community license so if you essentially qualify think of it if you qualify for vs and uh, community you um you fall right into their community license um, you can get all their stuff for free Else, if you're at a big company or you're making millions of dollars a year, they have a flat rate fee for all of your developers to get access to everything. So you don't pick and choose. You just get everything, no matter what you're developing. Check it out. Check out their Essential Studios for Xamarin, but Essential Studios for all their other products. You can go to syncfusion.com slash mergeconflict to learn more about all of their amazing products. And we could not uh, be more thankful for Syncfusion uh, for sponsoring Merge Conflict. Thanks, Syncfusion. Yeah, thanks, Syncfusion. I love Gosh, them. Got, I use them personally. I just you pull in their nougat and then boom, you're done. You got to love the model though. It's like free until you become big. Like I wish everything was mm -hmm. that way. <laughs> oh yeah, that'd be great. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Here's the hottest debate, hottest topic debate of merge conflict because we both what? clash. I think, I think, <laughs> I think that you're mad at me about how I interpret this feature, but I think the tuply tuples of the tuple tuples oh, <laughs> are the I love it. I love you. I love it, and I love it. All right. So tuples. We've had tuples. Frank, we've had tuples. Yes. Yes, we have. Yes. But they're crappy um, tuples. They were the worst tuples. They <laughs> they're terrible. <laughs> they had two flaws. Uh, they lacked syntax. 
So whenever we wanted to create a tuple, we had to write out tuple.create parentheses, blah, blah, blah. Whereas in languages like F sharp, all you do is put a parentheses, something, comma, something, parentheses. The syntax is just parentheses and commas. And guess what it is in C sharp now, James? It's exactly the same. Woo! With an improvement, though. Um, Hit me. So... so Everyone knows the second problem with tuples is once you have one, you have to remember the order things are in because all their property names are item one, item two, item three, item four. And so you really got to use your brain. And this kind of goes back to our thing. Uh, This was anonymous. We didn't have a name for it. Now, guess what? We can finally name the things inside of tuples so that you don't Mm -hmm. have to remember their position. Oh, I love it so much. It's a little weird. It's it's like data structures. This is one of the lightest weight data structures I've ever seen. Um, That's about as lightweight as you can get. So you can create um, a person object, first name, last name, with just two string properties and very few lines of code. It'd be like parenthesis, string, first name, comma, string, last name, parenthesis. And there, data structure, done. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. I, I, love, like it, huh? I love it. I love it. And I think this pairs with other features that they have. I mean, there's literally nothing that I don't love about these tuples because you can now async awaitify them. You can do a whole bunch mm-hmm. of other stuff. And you're really in control of what you want them to look like. So there's a, a bunch of different examples. Like you can have them um, where it's, you know, into max, into, into min, or you could have it, yeah. um, you know, later on describing them. You could do var and you can be like, there's the alpha. Because that's the thing is, let's say I have a, a tuple that I want to return. Well, do I put it? you know, int, you know, int max, int min, but I really want that to be var, whatever it is. So what you can do is you can later on give it the name of how you're describing the actual min and max or whatever. It's, it's very elegant. I'm probably describing it terrible, but anyways, it's great. Um, it's fantastic. The only gotcha is that you actually have to bring in a NuGet for this to work. Oh, that's weird. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm, I'm yes. reading here. Yes, it says you have to bring in the NuGet package system dot value type. Yes. Um, yeah. So this is a funny thing. Um, anyone who has actually looked at the performance of .NET knows that one of the reasons it does pretty well compared to things like Java is that we have these things called value types. Now, in most object-oriented languages, when I allocate something like a, pers- a person object or the number three, it takes up memory and I have a pointer to it and all of that. And everything is done that way. It's all on the heap. It all has to go through the garbage collector. It's all just in a big pool. But .NET has had value types, and what's neat about those is they don't go through the heap. They don't get garbage collected. So there's a bunch of limitations on how they have to be used. By the way, these are structs. In C-sharp, anytime you create a struct, you're creating a value type. Mm-hmm. So there's some limitations where you can use them, and sometimes you pass them by ref when you want to. But overall, you can get some basically C-level performance by using these things because you're avoiding the garbage collector and lots of the runtime. Yeah. Yeah. And now we got them in tuples. (laughs) Yeah. And now does that thing have anything to do with this genericized async return type thing? The value task that is also a NuGet package? This is different, though I'm sure they maybe did one, uh, you know, modifications to one to support the other. But um, they're technically separate things. Yeah. And this is is just a segue, or should we say more about tuples? I mean, these are kind of cool. I'm excited. Um, I mean, the thing is, if you already knew tuples, now you don't have to do item one, item two, item three. Yeah. It's dot first name, dot last name, whatever your things are. It it's so super ugly. nice. You can make them enumerable. You can you can do anything you want. It's fantasticals. Oh, 
And I should mention this, uh, it, it's even better than that. They added generic destructuring to objects. Mm. So this is a case where um, I have an object, a person object, and I want to pull out multiple things from it. So I want the first name, the last name, and a few other things. Normally, for every one of those, you would have a line of code. This equals that. This equals that. This equals that. And the problem there is you have a repetition of the root object constantly. So anytime you change that root object, you're going to have to remember to go and update these 10 lines of code. It, It gets weird. And so uh, now there's this concept of destructuring variable assignments. So you can assign multiple variables from one object. And the neat thing is it's not just for tuples. You can do that for any of your objects. So they point out um, a point class, like a Cartesian point with an XY coordinate. You can pull out the X and Y um, in just one statement. Very cool. Mm. That's very pretty. I like that. (laughs) I like that. I like that about it. Tuples, I love you, baby. I love you. Um, I don't want to talk. I don't want to talk about this genericized async because it's more of an optimization that no one's going to use. Because no, again, it's, how do you? No, no, no! You are so wrong. Okay, you told <laughs> no, me. You told me. The value type. No, no, the value type. Um, the value tuple is an optimization. We've had tuples before. Uh, value so task three, or tuples? Tuple. Tuple. I'm not to task yet. Tuple. Just oh, okay. Pressure. You're still on the tuples. Pressure. Moving on, moving on. Um, That was a performance thing. And now they introduced a thing called value task, which also, yes, 100% is just a performance thing. Um, This is what we said before about the garbage collector not having to be invoked. But this has much bigger ramifications than you understand. So (laughs) what they've actually done is created generalized coroutines for us. So Uh. whenever we create tasks before, uh, sorry, whenever we wanted to use await, that is do programs that look like they're sequential, do this, then this, and this, but it could actually do other things in between each sequence point when you await, you know, it's off downloading something or it's, you know, spinning up the CPU or doing something like that it's doing something else than what's there before all that syntax was limited to just task but now now that it's a generalized syntax people can use uh the await keyword to do more advanced things um i'm gonna say the word monads because it's gonna come up you Uh can um you can use it to simulate monads or they are monads i'd have to think about it a little harder they're tricky um but in general it's just coroutines this is a very uh, important high level concept it allows you to create your own task system if you want and still get to use the await keyword Mm -hmm. uh so it's a very big deal because it decouples the await keyword from the tpl now you can use two independent things. Ah, I see. I see. Got it. Yeah. So it, it essentially, de- like previously, you could only use async when it was a task or a task mm-hmm. of T or a right. void, but a it is a solution, every, a value test. Yeah. But it is decoupled it from it to introduce the language. I think that's kind of right. is the aha moment of what it's actually doing. Right. Now, so now if I'm a you. game developer, sorry, uh, uh, let yeah. me just say, if I'm a game developer and I want to use Await, but I wasn't happy mm-hmm. with Microsoft's implementation of tasks and all that, maybe they just weren't meeting my performance, now I can put in my own system. Uh, I see. Got it. Makes sense. That makes sense. Now, would you say, like, how they introduce a lot of this is value task, right? Because value mm-hmm. task is like a task, but it's for values. It's a value task. Um, <laughs> yeah. For, it it, it for can values. handle anything. No, no, it's more like it's the kind of object like, um, is it a class or is it a struct? 
All of a sudden, yes. it went from being a class. Now it's a struct, and that's the performance part. So if you're mm-hmm. if you have a hot loop that's doing a lot of async tasks, uh, before you'd be allocating and deallocating, allocating and deallocating, it would yeah. drive the garbage collector a little nuts. But now that we have value tasks, uh, again, it doesn't interact with the garbage collector, so you get pretty breakneck speed. Now, shouldn't this just be like a compiler time thing? Like, to be honest with you, shouldn't it say like <laughs> I have a task and then it could automatically this is a higher level talk. Could, yeah. Shouldn't it just automatically convert that to a value task for me? Uh, multiple points here. I think number one is what we're seeing is I think the C sharp team kind of wishes they they had gone value task from the first place. I think they oh, realized that it just would have been better this way. But then I'm going to flip that and say for you, for me, for pretty much everyone in this world who's not writing a web server. Who cares? Because our garbage, we're not creating that many tasks. The garbage collector can easily keep up with us easily. And I'm not even saying we're on the edge, like we're so far from the edge. Um, it's, you're not going to notice any difference with value task. This is purely if you are trying to eke out every ounce of performance out of a machine. I want to, um, when we talk about every C Sharp 7 feature, I would like to describe how far away from the edge it is or <laughs> close to the edge that it possibly could be. And could it be more closer to the edge or over the edge? Uh, noted. Uh, we'll, we'll do better in C Sharp 8. Well, yeah, I, I want I want all of the features to end in edge. So um, tuple edge, uh, and, and edge drag. task. <laughs> yeah. It'd be great. Now, all right. So we got a few more little ones to go about. Yeah. And this one, you, you, I, I, you want to save this one to the end. So we're, I won't, I'm going to put the numeric. Num, everyone's going to get ready for this. And I'm going to let you awesome. tackle all numerical, <laughs> literal syntax improvements. Um, but actually, this was a throwaway one that I thought was a throwaway one, which is the throw expressions. But it's not a throw. It's not mm. a throwaway at all, even yeah. though it's called throw expressions. Because, uh-huh. all right. So previously... Let's say that you wanted to throw a new exception. I said, if value, like if value equals equals null, then throw a new exception, right? On a new line. Now, what you can do is in a single line, as you kind of combine these all up, um, let's say that's in your setter. So you say, um, name, question mark, question mark, and you couldn't do anything before, right? You couldn't say name, question mark, question mark. You had to do something else, right? Or even in a um, in some other statement like that. So you'd have to say if name equals equals null, then new line, do something else. But now you can just say name, question mark, question mark, throw new exception. Yeah. Did I describe that good? I'm not sure if I did. Uh, I'm going to leave that to the listeners because I want to stay friends. But (laughs) (laughs) I will say this again is continuing the theme of we had something that was a statement based, which meant it was a sequential big thing. And we've turned it into an expression. So anywhere that you can put a number or a string or a new object, anywhere where a value is expected, you can now just throw as in there's an error here. And again, this is really just code cleanup. But my Gosh, it really cleans up the code. Again, we had this one in F sharp, but it's a big deal. Like, I'm not saying that just to throw it in your face. I'm saying it because it actually is a big deal. Like, this one really kind of cleans up your code. Instead of having, you know, all that boilerplate, uh, throw this, throw that, throw the other thing at the beginning of all your functions, it cleans up all of those. Well, I actually ran into this when my function could have been an expression-bodied member. I could have just been like, oh, right. then, you know, do 
X plus Z or whatever, first mm-hmm. name dot last name. But then what I had to do is I had to say, if it equals equals null, throw this exception mm-hmm. and then do the thing. So now what I could do is literally, um, if person, so let's say you're passing person in and you can't just do person dot X and then throw a null exception because person may be null. You would have to literally put that in brackets. So you could say person, you know, equals equals null, go do something else to that in your ternary operator. Like you could do that, mm-hmm. which would be awesome. Yeah, I think you're going to see a lot more use of the ternary operator, which is terrible. It's the question mark, semi, question mark colon operator we all yeah. know and love. <laughs> yeah. And I think I think if you have to use it gracefully, right, because ternary operator is great, but you can't you don't want to nest it. You want to do anything like yeah, that. Don't do so, that, please. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yeah, limit yourselves. Uh, and then just uh, just throwing this out there. You did use the example of throwing in a setter. Please don't do that. Don't throw in any properties, getters, or setters. Please don't. I'm doing it. Don't. <laughs> I'm doing it. It's happening. Well, th- that's the thing is if it, if it can never be null. Uh, you know what we didn't get in this one? We didn't get the non-nullables, huh? No, um, which actually disappointed me because that's a feature I desperately want, um, especially working on the project in C Sharp after spending so much time in F Sharp. Like, I'm getting null exceptions all the time now, and I'm just not used to it. I'm like, God, is anything not null? Like, <laughs> are there yeah. any values in this computer program? I, I, ha- <laughs> so this- I had this. I had this problem in. To be honest with you, I had this problem in. One of my plugins, my net billing one, is that I didn't allow null things and I just, it, nothing would happen like if you pass in null or like it, it could not be correct. I was just expecting you to always pass in a string, not a null, because I'm like, pass yeah. in a string, make yeah. it happen. And someone's like, well, it should, it should bubble up an, 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 an argument null exception. And I was like, oh, like I just wish I had non nullable. Uh, like, no, you I can't know. pass in a null object. Oh, would have fixed yeah. it. I'm going to break that API as soon as that happens. This is what I was talking about. I, I hate that prefix, prefix to all the functions we have to add of, you know, if this throw, if this throw, if this throw. I just hate writing that code. And the moment the language can do something for me, you know, give me syntax. Let me put an exclamation mark somewhere and say that if this thing actually is null at runtime, then just throw for me because it really should not be null. And then even then yeah. it can do compiler checks. We all want this. The team knows we want this. They keep trying different syntaxes. I guess they just can't come up with something they're all happy and agree with. But yeah. someday, I hope we get it. Yeah. Well, I think that they, uh, uh, getting rid of a few lines of code, I, I will say, even though this is, again, a smaller feature, this is a little code cleanup, little remove one line of code for out variable improvements. I love out variable <laughs> improvements. The problem with the out variable improvement is that you need to specify the out ahead of time. So if you want to int try parse something, you have to say int, this is my output at some point. And you need a whole, mm-hmm. you need to create that you know type somewhere else to out parse it or do something else. And it needs to be out. No longer. If you're doing that in an if statement, it's just like the is improvements that you could cast it. You just say out int results instead of out result you can say out int result and then it will cast it inside of your if statement 
literally eliminates one line of code anywhere you use an else statement. Yep. Yes. Plus, it it kind of fixes the semantics a little bit. The one thing I never liked about having that uh, dangling variable there was you never knew what its value was going to be later because you rarely initialized it because you were going to call out on it later. And then you just start accumulating all these weird temporary local variables and you give them terrible names like T and X and, you know, Mm -hmm. WW. (laughs) So the more we can get rid of those, um, awesome. And here's what they also did too, by the way. Is that this one has a little, it, it sounds bad, but it's also the variable, the declared variable when you do out into result is also leaky, which means that what I just said about it staying in scope is actually not correct. It leaks out of the scope. So you can use it anywhere after that out. So it's as expected as it was previously, because previously you would describe it mm-hmm. and it would trickle down anywhere else in that scope. So it's outside the scope, inside the scope, and it just, it's just kind of as it was yeah. before. So you wouldn't have to change all of your code to bring it in scope, which is super nice. I'm going to go through all my tri parses and clean up oh, all my I code know. now. Yeah, yeah it's going to be nice. Sure. Do you want to talk about ref local in return? I don't really want to. Do you want to do it? I don't want to. No, do it. It's super. It, it, it's, it, it's, no, I don't want to no, do skip. it. This is, this is for returning structures. New- we can return structures. Yay. <laughs> let's get to numeric literal syntax it's improvements. About time my god i've been waiting for this moment that said this isn't really that big a deal (laughs) (laughs) what they did okay they added two features that i actually really adore um the first is we finally get syntax for binary numbers and for those of you who have never done embedded systems programming or never done systems programming you're all like what do i care about binary numbers and i'm like yeah totally you don't care about binary numbers they're not important to you but if you have done low-level programming then you you've learned this concept that you know bits actually mean something and hardware works by setting bits in different places and all that stuff and in c sharp before we had to write hexadecimal numbers so you'd have to get your binary to hex converter out and then you would write the hex and then next to it you would write the binary that you actually wanted to write no longer we can write 0b0010110 and love it love it james you hate it don't you skip skip <laughs> Let's make our it's let's make important. our code even more let's make it less readable. How about one is one and two is two and four is four? Ugh. Yeah, yeah. You're still illusioned about what numbers are, aren't you? Numbers don't yes, exist. Yes, I am. <laughs> <laughs> no, they do. Okay. They do. Yeah, because right, they have this it. new and then on top of that they have a yeah. um instead of a dot pattern, because you can't put dot in it in an inch, mm-hmm. right? But you want to describe sixteen. You they introduce the underscore as a digit separator. Yeah, which is great. Anyone who's written a large number, if you've tried to write like four billion before, you're like four one zero two zero three zero. It's so hard. Like when we write numbers as humans, we tend to separate uh um yeah, powers of ten so that we can comprehend them. And they let you do that on the left side of the decimal and the right side. Nice. Yeah, this is nice. This is a nice improvement because let's say you have a Uh, uh, a long you have a long and it's one billion. Well, you do one yeah. underscore zero 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 underscore zero 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 <laughs> underscore one zero zero zero, and it's readable and it still works. This is a great improvement. I don't know about those other binary literal shenanigans. Digit se- digit separator improvements. I'm for them. I give them a thumbs mm-hmm. up. Mm-hmm. I don't know about this whole binary literal shenanigans. Seems <laughs> silly. Seems silly. 
<laughs> Someone's it's really important. It's a big deal, dude. No, I'm complaining. It's a big deal. If for for us low level people, for us bit twiddlers, it's a big deal. I'm Some excited. Bit twiddlers. <laughs> so, what is the theme of this release? Are you happy with this release of C Sharp Seven, or wh- how do you feel? Oh, it's, func- I, I, it's functional C Sharp. Is that what the theme is? That's my theme. That's what I'm calling it. Functional C Sharp. Yeah, I mean, you you called the last one code cleanup, and I think this one in a lot of ways is code cleanup, but this one is code cleanup by embracing functional programming. (laughs) Like, let's take some of their syntax and steal it, which obviously coming from an F-sharp background, I am all in favor for because I hate boilerplate code. I hate unnecessary syntax. You know, I just don't like unnecessary stuff. So it's a big deal for me. And honestly, at this point, I, I was using Swift for a while and I was really enjoying their pattern matching and I was getting a little angry that C Sharp didn't have it. So while I'm being a little silly and saying they're just taking these F Sharp syntax or functional programming syntax things, what I'm really saying is, thank God they're taking some of these functional programming things because it's you got to keep the language alive and sprite and show that you can adapt to new concepts and things like that. So very excited. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Beautiful, 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 beautiful. <laughs> um, all right, so let's get to some <laughs> listener feedback because I got called out on my tuple tuples. Um, and this, yep, I got, yeah, this is in our uh, I Love Callbacks. And Terrence, he goes, hey, guys, what is wrong with tasks of tuples? An issue. James said that this isn't a thing, but I, it's reported, <laughs> and I put it in .NET Fiddle, and it totally works. And you're right. <laughs> The thing is that you could do it, but it was you had to do the tuple create and you had the and yeah. you item ones and the item. It was ugly. They're super ugly tuply tuples, but the new pretty tuply tuples work and it's how you want it to be. So I'm sorry. I guess it did work before, but I was wrong. I'm an idiot. So it's all just coming down to syntax. It worked before, but the syntax was yeah. terribly ugly. And that's why you didn't know about it because you never bothered to try because who would? It was ugly. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. Now what? You can just put the await keyword right into the tuple? Is that what you do now? And then it just magically deconstructs? It's it's how you know. want it to work. Yeah. <laughs> it, 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 it's just like as if any other task, and it's not this magically special thing that doesn't make any right. sense. Yeah. Anyway, so it should totally work. I'm sorry, I'm wrong. You can go, you can read it <laughs> up. I remember when Mads <laughs> was, <laughs> when, when Mads was pitching it, he was all about it. Okay. We have a little bit more listener feedback that I want to get to because we love it when you guys and gals mm-hmm. chat with us either on um, comments on mergeconflict.fm via email or via Twitter. There's a contact page if you want something really long and involved that's on there. Um, we did an episode uh, a few episodes ago about DevOps and um, uh, Nicolaj, uh, I believe that's, that's how you pronounce it. He, he was loving the episode naturally. We pretty much appreciate that. And there, he was setting up the his build in BitRise about the different packages, and there was some discussion essentially around why isn't there a good tooling or a clean way to do configurations of these files mm. um, for integers. I'll tell you what, there is, um, there is. I've hacked this before. So what he's talking, about, what he's talking about is essentially, let's say you have a dev build, a QA build, and a release store. You want to be able to install all three of those apps on on your actual phone at the same time. That's what I want to do. I see. So I did this uh, for an example in VSTS because it's actually a little bit hard to swap those out. So I have an app uh, where I have three different um, Android manifest files 
which all house them separately. And based on the build configuration, whether it's debug, release, or QA, inside of my CS proj, I say this is the one that you should use. Does that make sense? No. <laughs> <laughs> you had me at CS proj. I, I'm going to well, assume that what you just said is very enlightened, though. So essentially in your CS proj, I mean, I love CS Proj. I love editing it. Uh-huh. I love doing stuff. There's different release definitions inside of there. So you have build, release, or debug, release, or configuration. Right? Got it. Okay. It's a configuration. Inside the configuration, <laughs> for Android at least, and I think iOS is the same, is you have a path to your Android manifest file or to your info P list. Okay? Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And what I you do it. is... And you put a conditional in? Is that what you're saying? You can put a conditional in, or you can just give it a, a different file name to reference. I like the conditionals. I think I'm trying to follow Oren and try to get into the whole like multi-targeting world where like one CS proj can create ten thousand different projects. I'm trying to get into yeah. that, but yeah. yeah. But I I do like it a little bit to be in the build, so I know exactly what's happening, so I don't have to change my project structures. So like before, I do you know the release build i swap out the name of the app i sw- switch out this of it and all this stuff seems to be a good way to do it i don't know just let the build system handle it i i, I come down on the side of the build system's always going to be a tiny bit hacky you just got to get used to it like it's it's okay to write a script that goes and munges through a file and replaces things with whatever they should be the problem is when you forget why it's doing that or you don't know how to maintain that or things like that but i see nothing wrong with scripts just going bananas on a build server to do what needs to be done yeah that's what i do i'm all about that build server um cool frank anything else that you want to talk about this week no, I'm I'm just happy we got this out before C Sharp 8 was coming out because, man, that Roslyn project is moving fast and I was getting worried. <laughs> so. It's fast, furious. If you're on a PC or a Mac, you can get that C Sharp 7 goodness absolutely everywhere. I love it. Um, awesome. Well, you yep. can always reach us at mergeconflict.fm. There's a contact form. You can buy our awesome, fantastical stickers, uh, which I've been giving out at a lot of conferences I'm at. But uh, you can buy your own if you're if you're anywhere in the world and, and uh, help support the show. That's super awesome. And, of course, thanks to Syncfusion, again, for for helping us out and supporting Merge Conflict. You can go to syncfusion.com slash mergeconflict to learn more about all their awesome controls. And until next time, this has been Merge Conflict. I'm James Montemagno. And I'm Frank Kruger. Thanks for listening. Peace.